Hey, well, if you have your Bibles or access to the scriptures, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3, and we're going to land in one verse, actually not just today, we're going to land in one verse for the entire month, um, and it's a pretty famous verse. In fact, it's the verse that everybody probably, if you've been in church, you've heard or you've quoted or you, if you watch football, you've seen it when someone kicks a field goal. It's John 3.16, slightly familiar. So uh, this month, we're going to take some time to look at one verse because in one verse, Jesus defines what is going on behind the scenes for Christmas in terms of kind of the, the how and the what and the why of Christmas is really wrapped up in one verse. In fact, what we're going to do each week is really we're going to land on one word of the, of the verse there to walk through and really take some time to digest what sometimes we miss when it comes to Christmas. All of us have kind of our routines and our traditions and things that we do. Parties that we go to, people that we see, family that we have to go see, right? We all know how that goes. All the things that we do, and that's what we call Christmas. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. They're wonderful things. But what happens is when we do that every year, we have a tendency to forget what Christmas is truly about and what God was trying to communicate and what God was doing through all of this to show humanity and, and what he, in terms of what he's wanting to do. Before we look at the, the passage this morning, I, I want to just talk a little bit about what we've obviously experienced as a, a bigger, broader community and as a nation this last week and obviously what's been going on in the world. Obviously, if, you've, if you live under a rock and you haven't heard, you knew what happened out in San Bernardino this last week and another mass shooting, loss of life and injury and, and obviously tied to terrorism and it's interesting when, when these kind of things happen, the response that people make. So either politicians or people running for office or Christians or religious leaders. And there's all these different responses. In fact, I don't know if you saw one of, one of the, the front page of one of the newspapers said, God isn't going to fix this. And that was in response to what we do as a nation, even though we call ourselves a Christian nation, as a nation, our response, even though individuals aren't necessarily followers of Jesus, we always say this, our thoughts and our prayers are with those who've suffered, right? We say those kind of things. Well, there's been this backlash against, well, why do we always include and prayers? As though God has anything to do with what's going on because he somehow, the assumption is God is completely absent from the situation of humanity. And then this last Thursday, I was on the phone with a friend who, someone who's close to him just recently passed away, and he was dealing with the, the questions that people were bringing to is how can God be good when he would allow this to happen? Somebody in their 30s to pass away from cancer. How can God be good, which is the question that always happens. Now, I'm not going to take time to talk. That's a whole different message. But what I do want to focus in on this morning is that when, one of the reasons, one of the things that we give of evidence of the absence of God, or maybe that God doesn't care, is actually evidence of the opposite. Because if God truly wasn't loving and God truly was absent, then what God would have done is he would have created in humanity robots with a capacity to do only one thing, to love him. That's, that's, that would be the most unloving thing that a creator could ever do because he would not allow us to have the capacity to do good or evil, to choose him or to reject him. Therefore, the context of our relationship wouldn't be love. It would be obligation, and nothing is worse than obligation. So God, in his wisdom and his mercy towards humanity, gives us the capacity to say yes to him or no to him, and because of our own nature and us wanting to be God instead of him, What ends up happening is now we live in the world that we have created. We have created a world where we have become our own gods. And when you become your own gods, then we have things like sin and disease and suffering and loss and mass shootings. 
And someone would say, well, where's God in all of this? Because why would God allow that to happen? Because God's not going to, he, he can't fix this. And what's the problem? And, and here's the bottom line is that through what we're going to talk about this month and what we'll focus on this morning, through what Jesus did in the Father sending his son to die on the cross, God did do something about what happened in our country this week. He didn't do something that would just change the circumstances of people. He did something that would change the eternity of everyone. Because the only answer to what happened in San Bernardino this week is not all the answers that we're getting from the media and religious leaders. There's only one answer, and that answer is that only Jesus Christ can transform the human soul. I've heard crazy things this week. I've heard Christian leaders call, have a call to arms. If everyone just go buy more guns and good people have guns. Sorry, there are no good people. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to step on toes. The answer is not to arm ourselves. The answer is not to vilify Muslims. The answer is the only thing that's going to change somebody from taking an assault rifle and going and taking the lives of other people is Jesus transforming their soul. That's it. That's the hope that we have. And if we understand that, then we take a step back and say, what's the broader context of Christmas? Why did God do this? Why did God send his son? In fact, that's what we're going to settle in on today. So John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only, or depending on your translation, his one begotten, his only, his unique son, so that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. We've all heard that in various translations. I want to land on one word today, and it's the word that Jesus chooses. That's the word love. So Jesus is having a conversation in John chapter 3 with a man named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a religious leader who had gotten to the end of his religious experience, and he said, it's empty. There has to be more, which motivates him to come and have a conversation and basically to say to Jesus, how do I get in on this? How do I get in on the kingdom? How do I understand this? And then Jesus gives him this really strange response. You have to be born again, which for Nicodemus, that was crazy. I have to go back into my mom's womb again and do it a second time. I don't get this. I'm fully grown. And so Jesus explained to him. And then in his explanation, we have John 3.16. Jesus gives the context for Nicodemus to understand something about why this is going on. Because God loved is the reason that I'm here. Because God loved is the reason behind my birth and my death and my resurrection. And so this morning I want to talk about that. But the difficulty about the word love is Jesus chooses his words wisely as all of scripture does. And Jesus chooses the one word to define love that is the hardest for us to define. He chose the word agape. And we've heard that word before. If he would have chose the word phileo or he would have chose the word eros, we got those down. Brotherly love and sexual love. We got those down in our culture. But he chooses the word agape, which is really, honestly, it's one of the hardest words in regarding to love to define because it has to do with the kind of love that really God has. And it's hard because how do you define God? How do you get him in a box and say this is the definition? So Jesus says that for God so loved, and he says agape, which we wanna, what I want to do is just take time today to kind of unpack the nuances of that one word because that is the motivation, the why behind Christmas. That's why this is all, why we do what we do every year, why we celebrate. It isn't because of Santa Claus and presents and all the things and fake snow and all the stuff that we do every year. It's because God loves people. And Jesus chooses a word that he wants us to walk through today. So just going to walk through seven things that describe God's love, which is the motivation for Christmas. The first one is this. God's love is comprehensive. So the word agape has to do with this holistic, complete, full love. But when you take it in the context, John, or Jesus says this, For God so loved the 
world, and he uses the word cosmos, which means everything. It's an all-inclusive, all-encompassing word, which means all of creation, all of humanity, everything. God so loved everyone and everything that he sent his son. Why is that important? Because for us to understand love, we have a very limited view of love. We have a very focused view of love. And usually love has to do with those things or those people that provide something for us in our life. We have affection for. But Jesus says, no, God so loved everyone, everyone that's different than you, everyone that speaks a different language than you, everyone that acts differently than you, all those people that you don't think are as good as you, all of everyone, good, bad, indifferent, sinful, righteous, God loves all of them. That's what motivated him. It wasn't just a select few. God loved all of humanity. And we have to be reminded of that, especially in the climate that we find ourselves in our country right now. Our nation is more polarized than it's ever been. We have the have and the have-nots. We have the different political parties. We have, we've isolated ourselves, and we come up with some kind of thought process about how God loves us more than he loves other people. But not what Jesus said. Jesus says he loves all people. Even somebody with his wife who takes an assault rifle and goes and takes the lives of 14 people. God loves people. God loves people who come from the Middle East, who are from nations that we would attach to terrorism. God loves people. A few years ago, we had the, the privilege of going to an Iranian church where they spoke only Farsi. They spoke a little English in their greeting time, but the whole service, everything was in Farsi. Uh, for some friends invited us, and it was really interesting. The four of us walked in, me and Kim and Courtney and Jordan, we walk in, and boy, do we stick out. We're like, us and our friends who already had a relationship there were the only white people in the building. And we, when we walk in, it was kind of a, a chilly reception. And at first I was trying to figure out why, and then I began to understand as we began to talk. When we walked in, the first thing that people thought of was, why are you here to check up on us? Has, your, has our government from Iran sent you here to find out what's going on because you still want to persecute us? Because the majority of people in that church had escaped their homeland to come to the U.S. so they could have basically the freedom to worship God. But after they realized that we were okay because we had some friends vouch for us, they, they welcomed us in, they were warm, and it was amazing to be a part of their service because they were gracious enough to give us little earplugs so that we could put in, we could listen to somebody's translating the Farsi service into English for us gringos who didn't understand anything that was going on. They had a Farsi Bible, and you know I discovered something profound about the Farsi Bible? It has John 3.16 in it as well. It's not just our English Bibles. They had every verse that we have. They sang songs that were different. But you know what I saw in them that I saw in people that I pastored at the church that we were at at that time? They had a love for God that was the same. They had a brokenness over their sin that was the same. They had a love for the world that was the same. They had a passion for Jesus that was the same. And God loved them as much as he loved me. Sometimes we need that experience to realize all the stereotypes that we go with of what it means for other people to be who they are and why somehow God would love me more than them. There's a wake-up call that has to happen for us. And we see that because Jesus chose his words wisely and uses this comprehensive idea of what love is. Second thing, God's love also is valuing. So when you look at the word agape, embedded in that is that God places the highest value on the object of his love. We're the object of his love. Therefore, God places the highest value and demonstrates that in sending his son, which was his most valuable thing, was his son. And he sent his son to say, I place the highest value on you, who you are, 
Now, why should we understand that? Well, think about this for a moment. We assess value all the time. We have values, which means these things are important and these things are more important than these things over here. That's what we call values. We have value for things. We have value when it comes to money. A $20 bill is worth more than a $1 bill. We, we assess value. God assesses value differently. He values everyone. And for us, we have a sentence, but this is what's crazy about God's love. God can value everyone equally, but make you feel like he values you more than other people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's the, he's the kinda, he has the kind of capacity that when you feel a sense of value from God, it's not this competition with other people, but you feel like somehow you're special to him. Only God knows how to do that. He's like, no, I'm his favorite. No, I'm his favorite. No, we're all his favorites. And the reason that's true is because God truly loves people, truly values people. I have a, a few basketballs that are in my office that are up on my shelf that I don't ever take out on a court ever. Because they're more important to me than basketballs that I'll go and, and shoot baskets with or play a game with. Because there's, I have a few of them that teams actually who I coached gave me after they signed the basketball. And I remember there's one in particular that sits up on my shelf that will never, ever, ever see a basketball court. And that is a ball that was given to me by the first team that I ever coached. Third grade boys. And so at the end of the season, we had not a great season. We finished 5-5. Five and five. We, we weren't the best team in the league, and we had some struggles along the way, but the boys learned, and it was a great time. I had really enjoyed it. I had no idea they were going to do this, so they, they all got a basketball. They signed their names, and so I, every once in a while, I'll pick up that ball, and I look, and there's Cameron, or there's Jeremy, or there's Justice, and I'll just start turning the ball around, and I'll see. And I remember when I first got that ball, at first I'm like, well, that's really cute. And then I thought, man, someday this ball might actually be worth something. Maybe if one of these guys makes the NBA, I can go on eBay and I can make a ton of money, right? <laughs> Sorry, none of them, as far as I know, have made the NBA yet. But as I look at that, I'm reminded, now, that, to me, they're special. Why? That ball has significance to me. Why? Because the names that are on that ball and the people they're attached to, I have an affection for. And that's the way it is with God, is that there's this, this special attention that he gives to humanity that makes us feel as though we're on his team and we're, we're a special kind of joy to him. And, and if you and I were to understand that, part of what today is about is for some of us who've known Jesus for a long time need to be reacquainted with God's love. And those of us who haven't need to discover God's love for the first time because we missed it. If we walk in the fullness of his love and understand behind the scenes what he was doing at Christmas, it changes the outlook for our life. It changes the way that we function each day. And then there's a third thing. The third thing that God's love is that Jesus defines by this word agape is that God's love is affectionate. God has a deep affection for you. Now listen to me. This is, for some of you, you'll laugh at this, but for others, you need to hear this. God actually likes you. He does. Why do I say that? Because... For some people that I've talked to, we're convinced that God's just constantly mad at us, constantly disappointed, constantly frustrated with us, doesn't like us, but just puts up with us. That's not true. God actually has, the word agape has to do with affection that God has for people, and that means that God actually likes us. In fact, God is concerned with our lives. We actually get God's attention in our lives. Why? Because there's this bond that he has with his children. There's this affection that he has for humanity. And because of that, he's constantly aware of what's going on. He constantly knows what's going on in life. He's fully engaged, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Any parents have kids you ever watched play sports before? 
I, I know one thing's for sure. I've been watching Courtney and Jordan play sports for as long as they could play sports. In fact, I watched Jordan play a basketball game yesterday. And one thing is always true. I can always find Courtney on a lacrosse field and Jordan on a baseball field or a basketball court in no time. I can walk in the gym or I can walk on the field and I can find my child. Why is that? Because I have an affection for him. There can be 20 other players. There could be 50 other players, but I can find them. Why? I know their profile. I know how they walk. I know how they look. They're my kids. In fact, when Jordan was in, a, in, in the championship game, it was a two-game championship. They won the first game. They were playing in the second game uh, in baseball. I had to run some errands in between games, and I knew I wanted to get back for the second game. And I knew Jordan was batting like second or third, and he was going to be up to bat. And so I ran my errands really quick, and I got back to the field. I'm pulling into the parking lot. So across the parking lot, across the field, I'm looking, and I see somebody at bat, and I see him swing. And as soon as the, I saw him swing, I said, that's Jordan. He hit a double, and then when he started running, I'm like, I know that's Jordan. I know how my son runs. And I'm running towards the field as Jordan's running. I'm like, yes, Jordan. I could see that across the parking lot, across the field. Why? Because he's my son. And if you would just think for a moment, that's why Robbie said it earlier. We sang about God as our father being a good God. Why? Because he has this deep affection for us that he's not absent from our circumstances, that he's constantly looking for us and knows us because he's drawn to us because he actually loves us. Fourth thing that's true of agape love or God's love for us is that it's active. Whether we know it or not, God is always pursuing and always taking action on our behalf. God is not absent. God is present. He is always pursuing humanity. That's why Peter says that God is patiently waiting for all of us to come to the knowledge of who he is so we can be reconciled back to God. That's why Paul says in Acts chapter 17 that God is actually choosing the times and places where people should live so that they will reach out for him. God is actively involved in every aspect of our lives. We just don't see it. We just don't realize what he's up to. And sometimes we miss that. God is so concerned that God is looking for intersections in our life to show up at to get our attention. Why? Because his love says that's true. His love is constantly pursuing us. There's a beautiful app on the iPhone called Find My Friends. Anybody heard of it before? AKA Stalking Parents is what it should be called, right? When Courtney and Jordan upgraded to an iPhone a couple years ago, along with their iPhone came this little app that Kim and I put on called Find My Friends which basically tracks your cell phone wherever you go. Now, the reason we did that is because we obviously trust our kids and want to trust our kids, but we want to know where they are, if they're getting to where they're supposed to be, if they're late coming home from something, we want to make sure that they're safe. And so we take a look periodically to see where they're at, okay? Some of you think, you're really creepy. You're a stalker parent. You can call me what you want, but you know you want to do it too if you love your kids, right? And so we'll, we'll, we'll check periodically to kind of see, you know, Courtney sometimes will work late shifts and like, is she on her way home yet? You know, uh, why is she going through the McDonald's drive through right now? She already ate dinner, you know, the things like that, right? That's stalking. I'm sorry, that steps over the line. But anyway, one day Courtney went to school and Kim happened to check up on her. I don't know why, but she checked up on her and, and the app shows a little locator where she's at and it showed that she wasn't at school. This is like during her first period of class. I'm like, why would she be at school? So she was watching for a little while, and, and it showed that she started moving. So Kim calls me, and she goes, I don't think Courtney's at school. I'm tracking her phone, and she's not at school, and she's supposed to be at school. So, you know, the first response is, is she skipping school? 
We need to find this out. And then as I open up the app and I'm watching, so Kim's tracking her home, I'm tracking her work, and so we're watching what's going on, and she's moving all over Simi Valley. I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. And then my, like, is she skipping school, went to, is she in trouble? Is something happening to her? So I hop in my car, and I've got the, uh, the, the app open, and I'm driving, and Kim's calling me, and we're driving, and we had, I had texted her, Kim had called her, we like left messages, like no response, no response. So I'm halfway to where she is, and suddenly Kim calls me and says, Courtney just called me, and she said she's sitting in class right now. It turns out that day there was a bug in Find My Friends, and it had Courtney all over the city when all she was doing was sitting in class. We were freaked out. What I was trying to do is anticipate where she was going to be, and I was going to be there. I was trying to see what street she was going down, if she had been abducted. I didn't know what happened because I wanted to make sure I could find her. How much more is the God of the universe dialed into our lives and what's going on and finding ways to intersect our lives in such a way that says, here I am, I've positioned you so you will reach out and you will find me. Why? Because he loves us. He's not running the other way. He's not distant. He's completely present and active in our lives. Then there's a fifth thing, a few more things to describe God's love in the word agape. It's also God's love is forgiving. Obviously embedded in, in agape is this unconditional love that God has for us. But the forgiveness comes in the extension of Jesus giving his life as the Father sends his Son to die on the cross for you and I. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To take the sin that became the barrier, became the wall that kept us from God, to remove that so that we could once again be in right relationship with God. God loved us so much that he refused to accept that you and I would be apart from him forever. That's how much he loved us. Even though we're the ones that turned our back on God, even though we're the ones that sinned, even though the ones, we're the ones that did our own thing, became our own God, God loves us so much, he makes another way for us to say, no, I still want you to be in relationship with me. I want you, I want to forgive your sin, not just so that you're righteous. God is not in the business of just making righteous people. God is in the business of making people righteous so they can be with him. That's the point. So he will do anything. He will go to any length. He will, he will remove any barrier so that we could once again be with him. Why? Because his love motivates him to do so. I probably shared this before, but you remember when you used to be in love, those of you who've been married for a long time, remember when you like had the passion and the excitement to be with your spouse? Remember, hopefully that was last week. Some of you, that was like two decades ago, right? But you remember when you had that, that, that passion, that love, almost that infatuation that you wanted to be with that person 24-7. You had that. There's something inside you. And because of that, you would realign your life to make that happen. When Kim and I were dating, before we got engaged, we were falling in love with each other, and we were wanted to be with each other. And, and when, when we were in the summertime and school was out, she was back in Ventura. I was in Van Nuys. I was working in Hollywood, and so I was driving to work the opposite way of Ventura. But I wanted to be with her. And so we made this decision that, that we would try to be together as much as possible. And so I started to get into a schedule or rhythm of life that wasn't altogether healthy, but it sure was fun. 
And that was, I would get up at five in the morning, I would get ready, I would go to work in Hollywood, I would work my eight-hour shift, I would get off, I would drive home to Van Nuys, I would take a shower, drive up to Ventura, get to Ventura, hang out with Kim as long as I could, which was usually till about 12, 15, because I had a 1 a.m. curfew. Yes, parents used to have curfews. And I would drive as fast as I could, getting tickets along the way sometimes, from Ventura to Van Nuys, go to bed about 1 o'clock, 1.30, up at 5, back to Hollywood again, over and over and over again. Now, when you're young and you're stupid and you're in love, you don't know that this is not a good, healthy rhythm of life. So I went to the doctor. Seriously, I was so exhausted, and I could not figure out why. So I seriously, I made a doctor's appointment. I went and I said, doctor, I said, listen, I think I'm dying. I'm 19. I don't have any energy for anything. I don't test me for something. And he's just looking at me. He goes, tell me what your, your life looks like. What's your schedule? So I just rehearsed what I just said to you, and he's just smiling. He's like, dude, you're burning the candle at both ends. You got to stop. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm in love. <laughs> and he's smiling and he goes, you're going to kill yourself if you're in love. And so he gave me his advice, which was no medicine, no blood test, no nothing. He said, you just need to slow down. And I said, sorry, it's not going to happen. And I didn't. And I just kept going. And I just was in survival mode for a long time until finally semester kicked back in in September and I got to see her more frequently. But yeah, I barely made it through that first summer. Why? Because there was no distance, no time frame, no amount of sleep that I wouldn't forego to be with Kim. Oh, yeah, so sweet, yeah. <laughs> She's not even here today, okay? So I'm not trying to get points, okay? But I will tell her that I told you this, so anyway. But, but what's the ultimate point is that how much greater is God's love for us? How much greater is God's love for us? That he would give his one and only son, not only just give, but give to die, so that what? He could take our sin from us to remove the barrier so that we could be with him. That's God's love. That's how God feels about us. Then the sixth thing is that God's love is present. His love is consistent. It's persistent. It's unchanging. It's present. It never goes away. God's love never has a bad day. God doesn't check in and check out of love. His love is constant. That's this concept of agape is it doesn't come and go. It's not like phileo or eros. It is constant, unconditional, because it's not based on the performance of the object. It's based on the author of love. And if you and I would understand that, that even when I don't feel like God loves me, he still does. Even when I feel like I can't see God at work in my life, he's still there. And there has to be this reminder every once in a while that even in the circumstances of our life, God is still actively demonstrating his love to me, even though I might not be able to articulate it and see it. When we moved to Oregon, people told me, and they, they, in fact, people from the Northwest told me this, and I did not believe it. They said, you know, sometimes we'll go days, weeks, and I think even if you move to Seattle, there's actually been periods where almost like over a month, if not two months, where you don't see the sun. And I remember people from the Northwest saying, I'm like, ah, it can't be real. No way. You're going to see the sun. Can't, clouds can't be that, like, strong and, and that long and that. And so we, we moved to Oregon, and I found out they weren't lying. <laughs> They're telling the truth. In fact, there was. There was periods of time where you forgot the sun existed. And then I learned something that I had, in fact, growing up in Southern California, I never heard the term before. Probably wasn't listening, but I never heard this term sunbreak before. Then we moved to Oregon, and that's, they live for sunbreaks. So when the weatherman would come on in the morning and say, okay, it's going to be cloudy and rainy today, but this afternoon there may be a sunbreak. Everybody in Oregon would go, yay, a sunbreak. I'm like, what's a sunbreak? Here, ready, what, what's a sunbreak? 
5 to 15 minutes of time where a small hole in the cloud passes by where the sun is and the sun actually comes through and you see it and then it goes away. That's a sunbreak. And people in Oregon are like, oh, it's a sunbreak. I'm like, oh my gosh. I lived in an eternal sunbreak in Southern California. But there would be periods of time and I remember after about two or three years, I became like an Oregonian. When there was a sunbreak, I'd just stop. Oh, there it is. It does exist. The sun has been rising and has been setting for these months, even though I haven't seen it. It's just been this cloud cover. And I know if I can get above the cloud cover, I can see the sun still exists. Life is a cloud cover over us that sometimes covers over the reality of God's love. That doesn't change. It's still there. The sun's still there when the clouds are out. Sun doesn't go away. God's love doesn't go away. But sometimes, you know what we need? We need a sunbreak. We need an opening where God says, oh, by the way, let me shine down on you for a moment. I know it's been a long time, but just know I still love you. I'm still pursuing you. I'm still constant. I'm still unchanging. I'm still here. Final thing that we want to highlight about the word agape, what Jesus says to us, is that God's love is accepting. This concept, God is love, which means God is agape, which is so hard for us to get our minds around because it's this God kind of love. But agape is unconditional, which means you and I don't jump through hoops and perform, and then God says, okay, you've done enough, now I love you. God chooses before we even give him a second thought or a first thought or an initial thought to say, I choose you, I choose to accept you, not because you're anything special, but because I choose to love you in the midst of your sin and your brokenness and your pain and your suffering and your life. I choose you. It's based on him, not based on us. That means if it's his choice, then he places value on who he wants to place value on. Not because, ooh, look at me, I've become really righteous or pure or holy or moral, and now I'm presentable. No, God doesn't, that doesn't impress him. That's why, why the most moral people in his day were the people he had the biggest problem with. He chooses to accept people because he chooses, not because they've done something special to earn that. When I was a kid growing up, this will show you how old I was. Some of you who are around my age or older remember. When the trash truck used to come around our neighborhood, it didn't have one driver who sat in the driver's seat the whole time and used some mechanical thing to pick up a trash can. There were three guys on every truck. There was the driver, and then there was the two guys in the back, and the two guys in the back had to literally get off the truck, pick up the trash cans, dump the trash into the back of the truck, and then go to the next house. That's the way it was. Anybody remember that? When I was a kid, this is crazy, I wanted to grow up to be a garbage man. <laughs> when I would hear the truck coming around the corner, I would run out to our front window, and I would watch them do their job. And let me tell you, it wasn't because I had this thing for garbage. It was, honestly, this is what it was. Our guys, I don't know if this is true of every neighborhood, but the guys who would go through our neighborhood had this little, like, compartment on the side of their truck. And every house they would go to, before they would dump the trash, they would take a quick kind of survey of what they were dumping into the truck. And then they would pick and choose what they wanted to have. And I remember there were times they would go by, and this little compartment was the coolest things, like a guitar fully assembled, no broken strings, nothing, that someone had said, ah, worthless to me, threw in the trash. Or toys and things like that that, like, some kid thought was insignificant, so they threw in the trash. These guys, would, it's like, for them, it wasn't job. It was like shopping for Christmas. <laughs> Seriously. And I would look at all this stuff, and I'm like, how can people throw this away? And that's why I'm, I'm I want to be a garbage man. I can get all that stuff for free. <laughs> but what were they doing? They were assessing value based on what they thought, not what the person who did, had thrown it out thought. 
Somebody thought it had no value, so they thought, oh, I'll just throw it in the trash. But not to the garbage men. They saw, they saw potential in it. They saw value in it. So what? They took it out of the, the garbage heap that they were about to dump into the truck, and they saved it, which is exactly the image that we have with agape love. God sees us in the garbage heap of our lives and says, I have to find a way to accept them in the midst of their sin and their filth and their impurity and their rebellion. So what does he do? In his love, he sends Jesus to take the debt that we have to remove the barriers so that he can come in and say, I now remove you from the garbage heap. I set you aside as my chosen child that I accept and I love. That's the love of God. If we can't get this one down, then we are wasting our time with all the rest of Christianity. It starts with God's love for people, for all people, for broken people, for us, for all of us. And so in a moment, the worship team is going to come up and we're going we're to spend some time with communion and communion together. And I'll give some instruction on that. But, but I want to ask you, if you would, just for a moment, if you just close your eyes, because I, I have you do this because I don't want you looking up here. It's not like I'm trying to be controlling. There's nothing crazy going on up here that you don't need to see. It's just that I want you to have time with Jesus right now, just with what he's speaking to you. So with your, your eyes closed, I want you just to think about this for a moment. What we're about to do in this thing called communion focuses in on Jesus' death, giving his life for us. Which you think, well, this is Christmas season. Shouldn't we be vo- focusing on his birth? But, but I want you to see something that sometimes we miss. When we celebrate things in the church or in Christianity, we have a tendency to kind of compartmentalize. So we have Christmas, and Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birth and the God of the universe stepping into humanity and becoming human. We, we celebrate that Christmas. And then we have this thing called Good Friday, and we know that Good Friday is the day that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and so we, we honor that and we reflect on it. And then we get to Sunday, we have this thing called Easter, and Easter is celebration of Jesus' resurrection. And so we... We have birth, we have death, we have resurrection as somehow three separate compartments of our faith. But from God's perspective, they are all a demonstration of his love for us. And you can't take one without the other two. So the significance I want us to capture in a few moments as we go to communion is that what we were honoring today by remembering through the symbols that we use that Jesus instructed, which is the, the, the bread, which is a symbol of his body that was broken, the suffering he went through on our behalf to take on our sin, and then that cup or, or the juice, which symbolizes his blood that was shed, which means he actually died on our behalf. That as we take those symbols today, I want to encourage you, as you reflect what you are receiving today, is not only the payment for your sin, it is the biggest reminder you can have of how deeply God loves you. And in these moments as we reflect, I'm gonna ask you, be reminded of Jesus' birth, God's motivation of love to send his son, and Jesus' life in his perfection. Jesus' love for us, the Father's extension of the gift that Jesus would choose God's way, the Father's way, to lay his life down for you and I but then to prove once and for all who he is and to destroy once and for all this thing called the end or death. He rose from the dead so that we could not only be 
reunited and reconciled with God in this life, but we can experience that forever. So when you, in a moment, what we'll do is, is, is the worship team leads, the, the four stations around the room are open. You're welcome at any time to go and receive those elements as long as you've come to faith in Jesus and you, you have some understanding of who he is. That in doing that, I'm gonna encourage you, just listen to what he's saying to you, reminding of him, he's reminding us of his love again. That whatever area of your life where you have chosen to believe the lie that says God doesn't love you, God doesn't like you, God doesn't accept you, that once again you would be reminded again, he loves you more than you will ever know and wants you to experience the depth of this love. Lord Jesus, we pray in these moments as we celebrate and honor what you did in your birth, your death, your resurrection, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and you would allow us to experience the love that you have for us the motivation behind this thing called Christmas so that once and for all in this place and in our lives, we will know how much you love us and then the result will be we will live as people who are truly loved and accepted by the God of the universe. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen.